You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Let's Talk Football Podcast. I'm your host Billy Powell and we are back after a week's break due to personal reasons. I'm back bringing you a Game Week 26 Roundup. And just before we get into the episode, we had a big announcement, which you may have already seen on our social media platforms, but the podcast is now a part of the Sports Social Podcast Network, the UK's biggest sports-dedicated podcast network. I'm absolutely over the moon to be a part of the team, along with some pretty big names. So I'm buzzing to be here, but anyways, let's get straight into the episode now. And as I mentioned earlier, we'll be going over and giving my opinions on the weekend's games, which saw a lot of controversy. So sit back and enjoy. The weekend started off with West Ham United's visit to the Etihad, with a Man City side looking to get their 20th consecutive win in all competitions. Despite West Ham's incredible season so far, there was only ever going to be one winner here. And I think that's going to be the same for the rest of the season with games involving Man City, if I'm being honest. With De Bruyne back playing after his injury, he started the game and showed why he's the best Premier League midfielder yet again. Just on the half an hour mark, Man City got their first goal when Kevin De Bruyne pinged the ball into the box for Ruben Diaz sorry, to attack to grab his first goal of the season. It wasn't all plain sailing though for City as they did concede as they did concede just their 16th goal of the season when Mikel Antonio tapped home Jesse Lingard's shot, which would otherwise have been going wide. But then in the second half, and just after the hour mark, Man City got their second, as John Stones got his third of the season, and became the second Man City centre-half to score in the game. After some great work from Mares on the wing, his pass was played perfectly into Stones, who was then able to turn into Sergio Aguero for a split second and place the ball home. 
City, as I said, though, were completely dominant. And there's nobody on the planet that would say that they didn't deserve to win it. 20 wins in a row now for Pep Guardiola's side, which is just an incredible stat. And it just shows how dominant that they've been this season, despite a very dodgy start. And of course, that 5-2 loss to Leicester earlier on in the season. If you take that away, that game away and the five goals that they conceded, Man City have just conceded 11 goals in the 25 other Premier League games this season. I don't think anyone will disagree that Man City are running away with the title and there is no one that will even beat them, let alone catch up to them. West Brom hosted Brighton up next in which shaped up to be a very, very boring game. But it actually wasn't and it probably isn't for the reasons that you're expecting. Or it might be actually, I assume that you were thinking of goals, but you may have been thinking about VAR, and if you were, you'd be absolutely spot on. West Brom went ahead when Kyle Bartley headed the ball into the back of the net, past Robert Sanchez in goal for Brighton. Just minutes later, Brighton won a penalty from a handball offence when OK Yukushlu handled it off of a corner. Pascal Gross stepped up, and I mean, we all know that Brighton aren't the most prolific side, as he smashed his penalty off the bar. And just 10 minutes after the penalty, though, is when the controversy hit. Brighton won a free kick on the edge of the box. Lewis Dunk, Alexis McAllister and Leandro Trossard were all standing over the ball when Lewis Dunk asked to take it quickly. Lee Mason, the referee, said yes to Dunk taking a quick free kick, which Dunk then proceeded to wait for Lee Mason's whistle, take the free kick and place it into the goal with Johnston not ready and still adjusting his wall. When Lee Mason realised that Johnston wasn't ready, he then blew the whistle for a second time and indicated that the goal couldn't stand and so the free kick was to be retaken. Lee Mason then gave the goal to Brighton before VAR confirmed whether it should or shouldn't have been a goal. Now VAR couldn't get involved with what happened around the free kick. Dunk was allowed to take it quickly. He waited for the whistle from the referee before he kicked the ball. So, well, what was the problem? Well, Lee Mason realised he screwed up when he noticed that Johnston wasn't ready and so he blew his whistle for a second time. So what VAR were looking at was whether the second whistle was before or after the ball passed the line. If they came to the conclusion that it was over the line, then the goal had to stand. But it was, in fact, just before that the ball crossed the line, that the whistle was blown, meaning that West Brom got away with one and that Brighton were left scratching their heads along with everyone else watching. A lot has been said around this, and I mean, you can understand why really, can't you? With the poor handling of the situation by Lee Mason, But this is my thoughts on it. And I tweeted this at the time, actually. So if you don't follow me on Twitter, go over and do that. But my problem with this whole situation is the way it was conveyed to the fans at home. What I don't understand is why Lee Mason, after the game, couldn't have come out, faced the media and told us his reasonings behind what happened. As a fan watching, I wanted to know, and I still want to know, by the way, but I wanted to know... Why did he blow the whistle in the first place with the keeper not ready? What was the need for the second whistle? And why did you give the goal for it to be then taken away again? As a football fan, I want to know the understanding of the game I love. 
I want to know the rules to the game that I love and I want to be able to explain the rules to the game I love. But at the minute, I don't think that many football fans really know these rules. The handball rule, which we'll get onto later, we don't know what is and what isn't a handball anymore. Why couldn't Lewis Dunk take that free kick quickly after the referee told him that he could? There's so many examples to this about VAR and no longer really understanding the rules to the game. If not, by the way, of post-match interviews, then why can't the referees be mic'd up like they have in Australia? Australia, of all places for football, have the perfect setup in terms of understanding the reasons as to why decisions have been given or not. You can clearly hear what's being said between each official, and it works perfectly. So why can't it be implemented in the Premier League, in the biggest and the best league in the world? Why can't it? Because the referees are too scared and are too protected. For some people, football is what the week is what makes people get through the week. Being able to see their team go out there and play football for ninety minutes, and what with the way that football is, with the way that football is going, sorry, it's been slowly pulled away from them, and it's just wrong. Getting back to the game itself, though, it did of course end one nil to West Brom. Brighton did miss another penalty later on in the game when Danny Welbeck hit the post. But Brighton also had a million and one other chances, but they just couldn't do their job and turn the ball into the back of the net. That win puts West Brom onto 17 points, but they are still six points off Fulham in 18th and nine points off Brighton and Newcastle just above the relegation places. Moving on to the early evening game, though, now between Villa and Leeds at Ellen Road. And with Jack Grealish and Matty Kath both still out injured and with the form that Leeds have been in, in in recent weeks, sorry, I I'd already kind of resigned to the fact that Villa were going to lose, but just five minutes in and slipping all over the place, Villa got off to the perfect start when Anwar El Ghazi turned in Watkins's chipped ball over the defence to, of course, make it one nil. And Villa played this lead side to absolute perfection. We all know what this lead side will bring, and it's an ultra all-out attack football, and Villa nullified it perfectly. We didn't allow them to create many chances, despite them having 70% of the possession. Rafinha, who I was very worried about before the game, just never really seemed to get going at all, as a 34-year-old Ahmed Al-Mohamedi took care with took care of him with ease. Um, other than the goal early on in the game, there weren't too many chances for either side, really. El Ghazi did test Meslier a few times from range, but nothing really troubled him. Um, what I liked about this game, though, is the win. That, and we we proved to people that we're not a one-man team. We're not Jack Grealish FC. We've shown that in the previous two games against Leicester and now Leeds. We've been able to create chances and put teams under pressure at times. And I've actually said a few times now, but out of the two players injured, Grealish and Matty Cash, of course, that Matty Cash has probably been the bigger miss. But either way, it looks like both players are going to be out for at least another week or so. And in that time, we've got Sheffield United, who we play on Wednesday, and also Wolves and then Newcastle, which are all very winnable games. And if we could win four out of five games without jacking the side, 
It just further proves how far this Aston Villa side have come since last season. And credit has to be shown to Dean Smith, John Terry, Craig Shakespeare and just the rest of the coaching staff. The jobs that they've done at Villa over the past year or so, it's just been fantastic. And to be a part of it, to be a fan, watching it week in, week out, I'm just loving life as a Villa fan right now, I will be honest with you. Talking of Newcastle and Wolves though, these two sides played each other in Saturday's final game of the day. And with Fulham seemingly getting closer and closer to safety and closing the gap on Newcastle, this was a big chance for Newcastle to take advantage of a Wolves side who just aren't the same team as what they have been in recent years. And it was Newcastle who did get the first goal of the night when Jamal Lascelles headed right ho- headed home Ryan Fraser's cross into the box, but the Magpies couldn't keep Wolves out forever. And with just 15 or so minutes to go, Ruben Neves scored his first header since being at Wolves. And it was also his first headed attempt, so a 100% heading record for him. Other than the two goals though, it wasn't the most entertaining game. And well, that doesn't really surprise you either. Neither team are known for their attacking free-flowing football, so it's no real surprise that it was a fairly boring game. Sunday, though, saw two early kickoffs when Fulham took on Crystal Palace and Arsenal took on Leicester. And as we were just talking about the relegation scrap and that, we'll continue down the same route and start off with the Fulham and Palace game. There wasn't really much to take from this game at all. No real talking points and yet another draw for Fulham as the game did end 0-0. Fulham had the best of the chances though and Josh Madger came close a few times but nothing real clear cut. The one thing though that I saw on Twitter about Palace actually is the list of players that are out of contract in the summer. I can't remember all of the names off the top of my head, so but you're looking at around 17 or so players all out of contract in the summer. And some of the names on the list as well. I mean, you've got Ben Teke, Van Arnholt, Tariq Mitchell, Batshuayi, Gary Cahill, Andros Townsend, Jeffrey Schlupp. As well as, I think, these are some big names for Palace, you know. And these are players that the club just can't allow to leave on a free transfer. Tariq Mitchell, for example, dubbed to be the new Wan-Bissaka coming from Palace and all that. He's a 21-year-old left-back who has shown that he's more than capable of doing a job in, in a Premier League side. And for someone like Palace, they just can't afford to let him go on a free. There have been rumours saying that he has signed a new deal or it's close, but nothing's been confirmed yet. But if it hasn't, that's potentially a 20-plus million pound player leaving for a free. Worrying times for Palace fans because if they don't sign some of these players up sharpish, they could be in serious trouble next season. And especially, you know what injuries are like. If they can, get, if they get a few injuries with a diminishing, a diminishing squad, you know it, it's really, really scary times for Palace if they don't sign some of these players up with new contracts. The second early kickoff, as we mentioned just a minute ago, was between Leicester and Arsenal, of course. And I was really looking forward to this game. Arteta made, I think it was about six or so changes going into the game. And Leicester also, of course, without James Madison, who did pick up that hip injury in their win last week against Villa. But he wasn't fit to play and it didn't seem to matter as just eight minutes into the game, Yuri Tielemans continued his incredible season, scoring the first of the afternoon to put Leicester 1-0 up. 
Arsenal, though, grew into the game and actually played really, really well. Five minutes before the break, David Luiz headed home to level the tie. And just on the stroke of half-time, Nicola Pepe's effort from the edge of the box hit Wilfred Ndidi's hand in an unnatural position and a penalty was given to the visitors. Um, Lacazette stepped up and placed it home, taking the Gunners into the break, 2-1 up, and deservingly so. Um, Just a few minutes after the break, though, Leicester's day got worse when Harvey Barnes, or the man that nobody calls by solely his first or last name, (laughs) went down injured and saw him be stretched off. Brendan Rodgers confirmed after the game that Barnes looked like he'll be out for around six weeks and with a knee injury. And I am, of course, wishing Harvey the quickest possible recovery. Just seconds after Barnes went off, Pepe added to the pain as he made it three for Arsenal. And that's how the game ended. Leicester remain in third place, four points clear of West Ham in fourth. And Arsenal did move up to 10th, two points off Villa in ninth having played two extra games. With Gareth Bale looking like he's getting back to his best after recent good performances, Jose Mourinho rewarded Bale with a start when Spurs hosted Burnley. And Bale got off to the perfect start, 90 seconds in, and Hyung Min Son's delivery into the box was met by Gareth Bale at the near post as he was just able to tap it past Nick Pope. And things got better for Spurs and Bale when Gareth Bale was able to pick out Harry Kane running through as he smashed the ball goalwards and after a deflection off the defender looped in over a diving Nick Pope to make it two. And then just on the stroke of half an hour, it was three. Sergio Regulon's delivery over went over everyone, sorry, but Lucas Moura lurking at the bat stick was able to smash it home. 3-0 going into half-time, game over, but the game wasn't over until Gareth Bale made it four. A massive win for Spurs, lifting them into eighth place. Um, Just above Villa on goal difference, having played a game extra and sitting six points off West Ham in fourth, having played a game less. Manchester United against Chelsea was up next, and well... Other than the obvious talking point, which I'll get onto in a second, it was yet another incredibly boring top six clash. It always seems to be whenever Manchester United play. I don't know why, but against those top six sides, they just always seem to sit back and just not offer anything going forward. I suppose it's a good thing that they're not losing to them, but Manchester United are one of the biggest teams in the world. Man United are a team who should be winning these games, not going out there to just not lose. And it just shows that despite them being able to pick up points against the other 14, that they've just fallen off so, so far. Getting back to the game though, and 15 minutes into the game, controversy struck as Man United were denied a penalty. I know, they were denied a penalty (laughs) for the ball flicking off Callum Hudson-Odoi's hand. Now, for me, this was never a penalty in a million years. No football fan should ever want that to be given as a penalty, whether it's for your team or not. If it goes your way, then so be it. Happy days. But there is nothing in the world that will convince me that this was a penalty for handball. People will say that Hudson's adoy arm, his hand, sorry, was in an unnatural position. 
But you can clearly see that it isn't in an unnatural position. You can see that what hudson Adoy is trying to do is he was leaning his body into Greenwood in order to protect the ball from him. And in doing so, it flicked off his hand. Never a penalty. And I'm happy as a football fan that the correct decision was given. What was interesting, though, is after the game, is that Luke Shaw accused referee Stuart Atwell of telling Harry Maguire that he couldn't give the penalty because it would have been a big talking point after the game. Man United then took back Shaw's accusation of undermining the referee in order to avoid being fined by the FA. But you know what would clear it up? Miking the referees up. So then we would know exactly what was and what wasn't said. With Liverpool going into this game against Sheffield United with their 18th centre-back period of the season, this would have been the perfect time for Sheffield United to maybe take people by surprise and get a shock result. But with the strike force of Ollie McBurney and David McGoldrick, you really do need a miracle to win any kind of game ever. (laughs) So it's no real surprise that Liverpool did win this game. And let's be honest, there was never any doubt that it would be end up any other way. Sorry. Aaron Ramsdale had a very good game, to be fair to him, but he just it just wasn't enough. 20-year-old Curtis Jones got the first goal of the game just three minutes after half-time. And then on the 65th minute, Roberto Firmino's shot deflected in and passed Ramsdale, which would, which would otherwise have been going wide. But 2-0 is how the game ended. And despite the two goals, there wasn't really many chances or any clear-cut ones anyways for either team, which I'm sure Klopp will be very disappointed with. But weirdly, that's what we've kind of gotten used to with Liverpool now. They're They're really not the same side that they have been in previous years. And I just feel like it's something that goes further and deeper into the club than just the injuries. I don't know what it could be, but as an outsider looking in, it it just seems that something isn't right. That's all from me today, though. Thank you all very much for listening. Don't forget to check us out on Twitter and Instagram at LTFootballPod. Let me know your thoughts and opinions on anything I've mentioned today. Anyways, take it easy, and I'll see you back here on Friday for yet another episode. Find more great shows or join the team at sport-social.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.